Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Violet Vulture, or simply welcome if you're new here. I'm really excited to be back from my little sabbatical, my planned hiatus. I was very pleased that it was nice to take one intentionally as opposed to life happening and feeling like I had to press pause. I think it was very important to take this pause because it clarified a lot about how to proceed with the podcast in the future. A lot of great stuff that I've gleaned from taking the time away. I'll want to get into a bit more of it in a separate episode. I really want us to dive right into to our, our honored guest for today. Our, our guest is none other than Angelica Cresci. She is a magical mentor and a Hades priestess. She comes with so much experience. And I was truly like astounded in, in all of the best ways by her robust sense of knowledge, her generosity, her openness with explaining where her perspective comes from as somebody who has some experience with deities, hearing more about Hades and her experience with working with Hades was really eye-opening and even putting it in cultural context, like historical context, I think just completely opened my eyes to the whole thing. And we, we got into a couple of different things on today's episode. So we're going to hear a little bit about our, our takes, our hot takes on pop astrology, where it does well, where it kind of falls short, and how she works on remedying that with her astrology work. We, we do get into spellcrafting, a lot of subverting some expectations or like false notions around these practices. I personally hopped in on her manifestation workshop, her masterclass a few months back. And one, it was like so robust. It was so, so deeply meaningful and helpful. And we touch on a bit of that and then some. And I think it, this could be a really great jumping off point for your own practices, either as a refresher, if you have been kind of letting your spiritual practice fall on the wayside. This episode is so full of these little nuggets of great things that you can implement today. You don't have to wait for it. And I think that the other great benefit too is if you're a brand new witch, if you're very, very curious and open, there's so much in here for you to find inspiring or at least affirming if you have some ideas, but you don't know where to begin. So I really, really valued this conversation with Angelica and just all of the history, all of the knowledge, all of the weaving of mythology into the conversation. It it absolutely made the little mythology gay that I am so, so happy. So I, I'm sure you will be equally tickled by the conversation as well. But without further ado, let's get on to today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Violet Vulture. I am really excited to be in conversation with none other than magical mentor, Hades priestess, Angelica Crushy. Thank you so much for coming onto the show. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. Really happy to be here. I, I love to anchor these conversations in time. So I do want to shout out something that I love that you touched on today on Instagram, which is not every full moon is going to really hit the way that you think it will or expect it will. Sometimes yes. they're just kind of, they just are. So mm -hmm. I'd love for us to kind of meditate on that for a hot second because it's a hot topic lately. Yeah, absolutely. And it is the full moon as of recording. So it's, it's pretty apt. But yeah, so, you know, I think it's something that I try to do with my content in general. Um, and when I work with witches and mentor witches, I try to do this as well, where I, f I just feel like there's so much out there now about witchcraft. And I think that in astrology and all these things, and I think that sometimes you can get really bogged down with like all of the, oh my goodness, this moon is going to change your life kind of talk. And I think sometimes it it's totally true, right? You're like, oh my God, that full moon changed my life. But then sometimes it's just sort of like, it, it might make you feel like you're not 
doing it well enough, right? And there's no way to work with that energy that's like the right way, truly. And I, I just think that that's just something that I try to touch on, you know, and, and remind witches of in a variety of different ways. And then it is a big theme in this, in astrology where when I'm reading charts, I try to look for the moons in the next couple months or maybe in the previous couple months that came close to the client's maybe sun, maybe moon sign, maybe, you know, in their modality of their rising sign. So yeah, there, there are, it is true, not just from the sort of, you know, demystifying the online space in the witchcraft industry. It's sort of true in, in astrology that not every full moon is going to really like hit for you. I appreciate too naming that there's something about the, the pop astrology and kind of a lot of information right now is still appreciated because it's helping activate people who are excited about figuring out what is my practice and how can I connect to either, if you want to call it spirit, that's beautiful. If you connect to deities, awesome. But it can be overwhelming. And it's great to talk to you about the astrology piece as well, because I feel like there's so much out there still. Like, I think we're getting better at the conversation, but I think there's still a bit of a trend about, is your moon good? Do you have a good mm -hmm. moon or not? I have my Virgo moon in the 12th house because I'm a Libra mm -hmm. rising. And people go, oh, wow. So you really are always faking. That feels, I, that feels like an insult in a weird way. <laughs> so... If you're if you're okay getting into a little bit because it kind of can kind of okay. help people see what it's like to work with you too. How do you help people kind of dispense the, the these illusions that they have bad placements? Well, you know, I think that sometimes it's helpful to maybe go get to the root of that in terms of uh, like why that is the case. You know, why we say oh that is you know, pop astrology says that's a bad placement or, or whatever, right? I think that sometimes following that logic and being like, okay, what's the history behind this? Is there any validity to this? Kind of like the, the fact checking. And sometimes you'll find that, you know, maybe there really is no validity and it's just that per that account or that person's personal, like, you know, maybe they just don't like Geminis or something, right? And they're just like, yeah, Gemini moons or whatever, you know? Um, but I think sometimes, you know, when you do follow that logic, um, and I'm a Hellenistic astrologer, so I, I try to recommend um, that modality because I think that especially for this topic, it's so helpful because in Hellenistic astrology, there's there are all these schemes of, you know, which planets are happiest in certain placements or which planets are, you know, sharing different parts of their archetype when they're in other signs or in certain houses. So you can really kind of get to know your chart really in depth using that. So I think that's a good place to start is just like really looking, seeing where does this idea come from? And then with that, if you do find, you know, let's say you have a Scorpio moon, moon in Scorpio is traditionally like called moon in fall. And so with that, it's this energy where you get to consider what that means for you and you get to maybe see what some of the strengths are about having a Scorpio moon where there's sort of like almost these odds stacked in in the art of fate and fortune against it. But then there's all these like strengths that come from it. And that's why I really like to use like storytelling just with everything. I like love telling stories and talking about myths, but I find that that's really helpful to put that into context of like, okay, this is what the, you as a character in your sort of personal mythology have to work with, have to work against. These are internal versus external pressures. And it can actually, it can go from a conversation that's just like, mm, I have a Scorpio moon. Well, to like, oh, wow, I'm so happy that I have a Scorpio moon because that means I get to like use this strength of it and I get to work with it and um, I get to have a really dynamic experience with this placement. I love that so much and especially you naming Scorpio Moon because I think that does come up the most in what I've seen lately that mm -hmm. yeah 
I appreciate the perspective of anchoring things in context because it it is a neither all of one thing is ultimately what I'm hearing. Yeah. I think that's also the beauty of getting a professional reading because there are limits to, you could still do a lot as a beginner. There's still a lot of value in looking at your own chart and trying to piece it together. But it's not until you're looking at the relationships between things that mm-hmm. you can get a better, perhaps a slightly more optimistic perspective on how to reclaim the narrative on these quote unquote bad placements. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I have quite a few placements that on paper would sort of raise eyebrows like, oh, you have, you know, Mars Saturn opposition or, you know, you have Jupiter and Capricorn or, you know, things where it's like, yeah, like there are certain dignities and aspects of in my chart that are sort of feared, I, I guess you could say, or seen as, oh, my goodness, what's going on here? But I think it's funny that we're we're starting with this conversation because I feel like it's become something that I do with my clients over the last couple of years. It's become almost a specialty of mine accidentally is like working with folks who do have these placements that maybe either through pop astrology or, you know, more classical astrology, they feel kind of like they can't work with it. I feel like I've done a lot of that. And, and in a way, it kind of reminds me spiritually with, you know, with my work with Hades. Um, it's maybe not the, the same thing, but I feel like with, with, with my work with Hades, you know, it's a lot about going into the underworld, into that place that, you know, a lot of witches are very familiar with, but still so many people and witches are um, feeling almost like hesitant to go there or work with Hades maybe in particularly. Um, and so, yeah, talking about these sometimes difficult underworldy things and how to utilize them for amazing good things in our mundane and magical lives is kind of like a theme of my work. And that's definitely something that has drawn me to your work because I feel like there's been that ongoing relationship I've seen evolving in my own practice where even in college, I was in a sorority and the family that I was kind of voted into, everybody is named after goddesses. And it was very obvious to my parents in my sorority, like, oh, that's a Hecate all the way. That was my introduction. And I realized like I was growing into that more and more as years went by and just seeing the parallels come up and realizing like what makes me afraid of working with or venerating what has kind of shown up in ways that are not hidden. It's been obvious. Like I kept snakes for a while. I am a death doula. I have seen a lot of spirits. I think it took time looking at Hecate more closely to be less afraid of what it means to perhaps have a relationship I could foster there. I know that Hades in particular can feel really spicy for people. So what what do you typically offer people as far as how to maybe be less afraid of of Hades? Yes, I love that question. Well, I think that it is helpful and kind of like necessary in his archetypal expression to kind of like honor whatever comes up when you think about him. Because I, I, I do think that there you know he does have that kind of Capricorn like devil scapegoating kind of energy to him and he that is part of his archetype like you know I think that there's there's no coincidence that maybe culturally he's sort of seen as like this villain or this person who yeah is sort of a villain in in the story of Persephone and Demeter but I think that he has no problem holding that and being that and embodying that. But at the same time, there's like a huge ocean full of other things that he is. And it's kind of interesting because even if you just look at the epithets, right, because the epithets of all of the Greek deities and there's epithets in other pantheons too, but I think in the in the Greek pantheon, they're very defined, right? And so an epithet is like an alias or another name that 
the deity is known as, and sometimes they're much more like nicknamey. Sometimes they're almost other archetypes that they embody within their main kind of archetype. And so for Hades, he has like 20 epithets, like 20 aliases, maybe more. Um, and so he's kind of juggling a lot of, of, I don't know, like a lot of energy. And I think that that might have to do with him being feared and him, you know, being feared in the ancient world because death was so prevalent in, every, in their lives. And they were sort of afraid to utter his name to evoke him or to talk about Hades, the realm of the underworld, uh, like the realm itself. So I guess what I would offer to people in terms of being less afraid of Hades is I would offer the fact that he does have all of these jobs and aliases and archetypes and names under his embodiment. And you can kind of spend like a lifetime working with each and every one of them if you wanted to and seeing all these sides of him. And I think it can be really rewarding. That's so deeply clarifying because it takes that very one note, like we should be fearful because this is this one thing, instead of really seeing just how dynamic and again, everything in context that if if there was a lot of death going on at a certain time for for reasons we could pin down, like mm -hmm. disease, there's changing of times. People just lived shorter lifespans. It's very easy to to fear what you perceive to be a harbinger as opposed to simply a part of a cycle. And being in relationship with that ultimately makes it less scary. When, yeah. when you get it, it's not so other anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's so fascinating. And yeah, I'm I'm really interested in like how, you know, the folks in ancient Greece at different areas and at different times were able to kind of manage that. My husband it has Greek ancestry and he's actually from this area of Greece in northern Greece, sort of like now I think it's in Albania. It's like right on the border of Greece and Albania. But that area, it's called Epirus, the region, is has one of the only known temples to Hades in like the mainland of Greece. And there's a really rich kind of culture there of death and like I should say mourning death and working with death and kind of transmuting maybe that that pain and it's just so fascinating to me there's these like specific songs that are like they're called like laments the laments of Epirus is typically what they're called and they're these very like haunting songs that are supposed to heal somebody that who has experienced death or maybe a loved one that's passed on the, the laments were composed to sort of heal the the living and maybe you could argue like help the the dead sort of transition but it's it's so interesting so I, I think there were pockets in the ancient world that were like more actively working with him and then there's there's Eleusis which is where the Eleusinian mysteries happened and that was like the rites, the mystery rites of uh, Demeter and Persephone. And there were statues of Hades there. And maybe there were priests or priestesses of Hades that worked at those rites and kept up a, a, temp a small temple to him there. So there was a little, there was a little bit of veneration and maybe cultural reflection on death, but it was still kind of mostly feared in the ancient world. That's such a lovely ritual. And I it kind of goes back to something I love to impart onto people, which is that death will transform a relationship. It doesn't necessarily mean that it is the end of the relationship as we know it. It's mm -hmm. all about how the, these rituals, these celebrations, these moments that are not just about us, but for them too. And yeah, absolutely. In in Greece, in and I think it was really prevalent in the Renaissance, this mindset around death as a community. And mm. it doesn't mean that there wasn't still fear around it, but 
again, the sense of I'm working with with whatever I want to call spirit in the moment. I'm working with that entity intentionally. I, I feel like there's something of a resurgence now because we've seen so much pain. We witnessed a pandemic. I, I feel like there's absolutely a draw collectively, spiritually around this. I, I wonder, aside from just curiosity, have you seen that come up when people have been coming to you lately around, or lately or the last few years, around the, the wave of witnessing so much loss? Yeah, that is such an interesting reflection. And yeah, it's funny because I, I haven't noticed it until you just mentioned it. And now I'm like, oh, yeah, like I got we got it right. Like I complete it's all coming to me. Like, yes, that makes so much sense. And I was kind of shocked, I think, when I started posting about Hades and offering classes and working with people around Hades. Because I just kind of thought that like three people were going to show up and be like, well, it's cool. And that was going to be the end of it. And then it sort of ended up being the opposite where I was having so many people contact me about Hades and, you know, learning about Hades through me. And it was just so incredible. And yeah, that was all, you know, 2021 to now. And so I, I do think that that might be part of it. And I also think maybe the nodal access being in Scorpio and Taurus for a while sort of activated that energy. I feel like that's, you know, like if you think about Taurus season, Scorpio season, it's like the veil thinning and it's just all of that, you know, uh, loss versus gain energy. And it's just uh, really, really fascinating. Oh, definitely. I still reflect on it every now and then. My husband and I got married on Day of the Dead, and that that was a that's a potent day to have your wedding anniversary. But <laughs> at the same time, there really was that intention because we've lost so many people, re both recently and far enough in the in our history, where we could kind of feel like, how different would this be if they could be here? So wow. it was very important spiritually to feel their presence as much as possible <laughs> i so i knew that it would be there regardless but you know that Samhain is already very special to me for that reason but it, i just had to do with that <laughs> oh my goodness that's amazing it's so interesting because i had my wedding on april 30th which is like the other side of that of the veil thinning <laughs> portal yeah <laughs> That's so funny that we both were like, yeah, the ancestors need to be here. They need to yeah. see us. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Oh. I share that sentiment for sure. Oh, I love that. <laughs> is your is your husband also spiritual in any capacity or is he supportive? That's probably the way that I'd put it. Yeah, he is fascinating, like period. He's just so interesting. But he so he's a Sag Sun and he has like a big Sagittarius stellium. He has a Pisces rising. So he's very he's very Jupiterian and he loves all religion. And he is like before I met him, I wouldn't call him a practitioner. He's not really interested in like you know doing candle magic or anything like that or working with deities. He's not really super interested in like the craft, but. He knew a lot about the occult and, and witchcraft before I met him, just as like, oh, I picked up a couple books about this or I've been learning about this. He's, uh, yeah, he's just such a sad. He has so many books. He wants to know about everything. Yeah, so he is sort of spiritual in this in a very Jupiterian way where he sort of is like, everything is cool and amazing and I want to learn about all of it and maybe all of it's true and maybe none of it's true, you know, so... I don't know. So he's he's very supportive and, and often he's a librarian, too, which is like the perfect job for him. And so if I um I ask him, like, hey, I'm I want to do some research on X topic. Um, can you help me with that? He's like my research assistant. So he'll like do all the research, get all the stuff, send me like the highlighted documents. This is what he does at work. Don't tell his boss. And he's like, yeah, here's all the research. And I'm like, oh, thanks. Okay. <laughs> Oh, that's so brilliant. I love that yeah. so much. 
my my husband is about at least a year or so out from being an ordained Lutheran pastor. The first question we get asked a lot is when will we have children? The second one is absolutely how does this work? It, does yeah. one of you try to convert the other? I'm like, no. More, more <laughs> often than not, as you said, there's the really big draw towards knowledge. And I, I'm sure to a certain degree, like the the aesthetic of certain things also has power, like the glamour magic aspect of it, with him being a Leo Moon Taurus rising. It's like wow. I it's like I want this for both what it is and also what it kind of represents as far as like a placement energetically, visually in our homes. Absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. A very maximalist house we everywhere oh so that's wonderful i i guess i'm i'm also curious about and i'm sure it's a both and but if someone is coming fairly green who who might have that vegetarian energy because i know that i do too but it's often tempered by my earth placements of maybe i should do something in order should yeah. I do deity work first and then work on spell casting and manifestation? Which one should I do? Oh my goodness. I love that. That's great. And I resonate. I have uh some a Capricorn moon sorry, sun in rising and then a Sag moon. So I, like I get the earth and the Sag hundred percent. I think yeah, I it's interesting because I started kind of just learning a lot about witchcraft, but I feel like my first like path into a pagan practice was or like a pagan and a witchcraft practice was with deity work it was probably the first thing that I was really fascinated with I was like what is going on here how do I get a deity who cares about me and wants anything to do with me like what where where are they giving these out like where can I get one I was just really interested in that but I think that that's the advice I would give is like, whatever you feel really drawn to, because this is something that's happened so much in my practice where I am like, okay, I feel ready for this thing. I was like, I feel ready for deity work. I'm just so interested in it. I am just ready to dive in. And then there were certain things up until, you know, even a couple months ago in witchcraft or in the occult where I'm like, okay, I don't know if I'm quite there yet or like for a long time that was herbalism. I was like, I don't know. I have like five herbs. I use the rest. I, I have no idea what's going on there. Uh, I don't really care to research at this time because I just knew that I it just wasn't gonna stick even if I did. So, but then I woke up one day and was like, I'm gonna be an herbal witch. And now I'm like really into herbalism. And so <laughs> I think that things will just come to you when they're ready and you just have to sort of honor that there is sort of a divine timing aspect to to a lot in your practice. So whatever you're like, ooh, I really want to do this right now, that's what I would recommend researching and, and doing. And sometimes you need to read and maybe listen to, to podcasts or videos or kind of experiencing before you really know that. I think that sometimes you're like, I have no idea what to do. I also do a reading uh, called the Magical Signature Reading, which is kind of like a tarot reading and a witchy brainstorm session. And it's really helpful to people who've been practicing for a while who are like, okay, what's the next thing? Or where can I kind of expand from here? And then it's great for people who are beginners because it kind of gives them some understanding of maybe their innate magical gifts and talents and what they could kind of develop first no i think that's phenomenal because there could be so much overwhelm as you're getting into it even with all that enthusiasm like there's a great shop that i i patronize here in the city called sideshow gallery and every now and then they get somebody who's really excited a little bit overwhelmed and it can go one or the other way they walk out with nothing or they get the people who take a basket and fill it up with like everything. <laughs> and then they have to like have them pump the brakes and say, okay, too much magic now. Let's back up and have a conversation about why are you here? What are you looking for? And then they begin describing and they're like, 
that's a lot to ask of a spell and of you yeah. who's brand new. So let, let's let's have you like set set the many stones down and we'll make a little plan for you. And you can come back when you're ready for more. So I love this idea of honoring these innate calls to action around like how you can begin to activate yourself in your practice. Because when they reflect on my own, I've had my times where I feel like I'm more drawn to the divination aspects of my work. And then as I've gotten more into Akashic Records readings, I feel like I, I'm more experimental than I have been. So mm. there's absolutely a certain degree of letting your practice evolve with time. And especially as you intersected with deity work, there's a certain degree of like, maybe focus your attention here. Yeah, so. I love it. And I think your deities can help you navigate that to some extent. I've felt like if you are a deity, like if you work with deities, I should say if you're a deity witch, then, you know, you have a great resource of magical information and also guidance because I think that's something that people often forget about deities is like they are guides, they're masters of what they do and of their archetype. So if you want to learn, you know, how to do love magic, like just ask Aphrodite. Like she knows all of, she knows all about it. Like just get her on the line, right? Um, if you, you know, if you want to learn death uh, magic or working with that, you know, I would say maybe like Hecate, Hades could probably be really helpful. Uh, Thanatos would be really helpful. Um, yeah, just all the underworld deities. Um, and so I think I intuitively was picking up on that for a while, but thought of it more like, oh, they're just guiding me through the understanding of these things, which is definitely true. You know, they can kind of guide you to mentors or books or podcast episodes or things like that. But I think just sitting down for an evening and just straight up asking them and seeing what comes through psychically, seeing what comes through in tarot, asking for recipes, ideas. It's channeled, you know, material and it can be really helpful to your practice. And uh, I, I've certainly done a lot of this with Hades over the course of my practice. And it's so interesting because I'll talk to either other, other Hades devotees or people who work with other underworld deities in the Greek pantheon. And they're like, I have been doing a very similar spell that I got also from this deity, or I've been doing the same type of magic that you've been doing. And I, meanwhile, I'm like, oh yeah, I totally just made this up in my head or like Hades just channeled this to me, but it's like, he's channeling it to so many people, you know? And so sometimes uh, you have an interaction like that where you realize this is bigger than just you and your tarot cards at midnight with Hades in the dark. You know, this is just, this is a, this is a, a form of magic. This is like a real thing, right? And even if you don't have an experience like that, it's just about trusting your channeled information, your UPG, and seeing if it works for you, because it doesn't really matter if it works for anyone else anyway. Oh, totally. And I guess I'm curious, because I... I've seen kind of the evolution within myself. How how would you characterize how you've evolved or kind of the ways that you feel like your life is up-leveled by working with Hades? Yeah. Oh, there's been so many. So <laughs> I feel like the first thing that I think is extremely important is that I started working with Hades when I was a teenager. I was living with my parents. My mom is a really difficult person to be around. She really intense. She is like clinically like narcissistic and has borderline personality disorder. And so growing up with somebody like that who was not treated and who wasn't seeking to improve and she was she's an addict as well. And so I think it can be really difficult. I grew up with this very strong presence, not strong in a good way, but a very strong sort of presence in my in my life. And I felt kind of like Persephone. I really resonate with Persephone. And I'm not saying that Demeter is sort of maybe at that level or anything like that, but I think that there are archetypal 
patterns that you can see with, okay, here's somebody who is maybe seeking to have her own life. She's seeking to not be under the control or the, you know, I don't know, in the house of, of her mother anymore. She's seeking to move on. And then she becomes Persephone. Her name changes from Kore, which means child, into Persephone, which means destroyer. And she becomes the queen of the underworld. So I was like, ooh, where can I like what is work? I get that. Like, that's so cool. And so obviously Persephone and Hades became really interesting to me. And, you know, I, I didn't feel like I could work with Persephone for some reason because I just felt like I was too close to her archetype. I don't think that this is everybody's experience, but it was just sort of like my experience where I was just I felt like I was her. And so I feel like I I don't know, there was almost like a disconnect there. I would say, you know, to sum that up, I would say that he taught me, he was the go-to person for me at that time that helped me feel like I had control over my life and friendship. And he felt like a protector. And maybe that that's why I was unable to access Persephone at that time is because I almost needed Hades's energy to kind of swoop in and be like, we're going to be okay. Like, it's going to be fine. And he set me kind of on this course of liberation that has been so profound. And so it started with, you know, me knowing at a young age that I really was interested in maybe owning my own business. And so that was always a priority for me of like, okay, I'm going to be a business owner. I don't know what I'm going to do, but going to be a business owner and I know I want to be an entrepreneur. And then it kind of took me to this place where I had all these like small little businesses in college and I was just trying different things out. I had a tarot business. It's funny. I had a birth doula business for a while. It's like a very psychopomp energy. I was like, do you need a tarot reading or a birth doula? Like I can do both. And uh, a couple other things that I was just like, where, what else can I do? You know, I just felt very liberating for me to do that. And obviously there's the financial freedom aspect that I was seeking. And yeah, all of those things sort of led me to my eventual job now, which, you know, I'm a full-time witchcraft mentor, tarot reader, astrologer, and I teach about the occult and about Hades. So yeah, I think I can see a really clear path as of action of like the things that he's impacted and then there's been emotional things. I feel like my relationship had been guided by Hades in a really profound way. My my husband and he's meeting. Yeah, there's just been so many other amazing things that he's led me to. That's all so phenomenal. And I can see that trajectory, too, and where you are now. And I, I do want to affirm having having similar upbringing, not quite the mm-hmm. same, but I can resonate a lot with what you shared. Persephone is a difficult one to tap into when you're a little bit too far in it. The thing about archetypes is the intentionality of what you're able to pick up on, whether it's symbols or the deeper story and the kind of the evolution of like where you began and where you end up to a certain degree. Not that there is always that fine point, but that there's something you're working toward. And when you're in it, it feels like there is no end point. So I I, I love hearing that you're kind of able to explore that with having been removed from it because there is a certain degree of foundation you need in order to be able to look at what was your past, basically. It's not even just an archetype, but it's a part of your own history. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I completely agree. And yeah, I'm really happy to have unlocked that relationship. And and Hades had always been with me. It was so fascinating, even when I reflect back on all of the ways he was really present in my life. And writing at the time, I know we're both writers, which is fun, but writing at the time when I was a teenager and experiencing all these things and, you know, all of that, writing was like what I did. Like that was my thing. And I think that Hades sort of also led me to that modality. And it's my writing interest started in like kindergarten when I was writing little stories and like stapling them into like little books and things like that and I used to write about people who were like spirits and people who were coming from the underworld and 
I had all these little pamphlets of like little stories of like dead people and my my teachers were like, oh, Angelica, what is happening here? Like, why are you writing about the dead? It, like storytelling about the dead. And I was just, I was like, of, why not? Like, of course I'm writing about this. And, so, and all my favorite movies were like a movie where the character mysteriously died or like, I love The Corpse Bride. You know, that was like my favorite movie when I was a kid. Anything related to that, I was like, that's my thing, right? And so, yeah, I think that just that, writing and and also those those telling those stories it, it led me to where i am now but then it also kind of helped me delineate okay hades is reaching out to me and he's always been with me oh that's that's so amazing and i do want to know that it is so very capricorn that you knew at a young age that you wanted to be a small business owner <laughs> i i love that foresight because you you absolutely yeah. made it happen and I think that's a good segue into what is manifestation? At some point, we we fell into this like hole where I think everybody assumes that manifestation means that you write down in like lipstick on your mirror, like I am this thing, and then it happens. I'd love for us to get into kind of subverting these false notions about what is manifestation. And it is still accessible, I think by let's let's get into it I love it yeah I love it so much yeah I feel like you know manifestation in a way was once this sort of like arcane art of like the hermetic magicians and then then it became sort of like <laughs> like oh my god new moon and full moon setting my goals or whatever which i love both like i am both i mean i am so basic in so many ways and then i'm also like you know about to like hop into a ritual with like a demon like i i can be both and so you can also be both but i do think that there's those two kind of opposites can come together a little bit where I love that manifestation is very mental. It doesn't always have to be mental. It can it can involve tools and grounded objects and things like that and crystals and a variety of techniques and things. But, you know, I think what it's draw is that it can be mental. It can be just sort of like you creating these dreams and fantasies and them and them coming to, to pass. And I think that that is really tantalizing to a lot of people. And yeah, I think that that's maybe why manifestation. It's also maybe a little bit more like, yeah, it doesn't have the tools. You don't have to like have all the candles and all the herbs and know how to put it all together. And so I think it can be like almost like an entry level thing because you, you don't need anything for it. Maybe other than just you and your maybe a pad of paper and your will. But I think maybe going back to some of the more historical like notes on manifestation is really important and it can teach you a lot about sort of what the hermetic magicians, as an example, maybe had in mind for the person who was dedicated to the art of manifesting things and, you know, manipulating the world around you and sort of bringing things down you know I like to always think about the planets when I do manifestation that's kind of the way that I work manifestation um now is I really think about the spheres you know the sort of Aristotelian spheres of the universe how all the planets have a sphere around you know hypothetically in the in the heliocentric universe which is scientifically disproven but it's a nice philosophical idea <laughs> All of the planets have these spheres around the globe, around our, you know, Earth. And we can, they also, you know, they impact us as above, so below. It's a hermetic axiom, right? We can draw their energies down into our minds, into our etheric bodies, into our spells in a variety of ways. And we can really utilize them to set in motion what we desire. And they, you know, hold different meanings. I think that anybody who studied astrology can sort of understand, okay, we have Mars, we have Venus, we have Jupiter, we have Saturn. They're all different. They rule over different things. We can use them for different things magically or in manifestation. 
And so that's, I guess, how I work with manifestation these days. It's a little bit more esoteric. It's a little bit more uh, detailed. But I do think that it can just be as simple as sitting there and thinking about what you want and letting it go and going about your day and seeing what happens. No, I think that's wonderful. And something that I know I've struggled with that maybe we can get into a little bit here is how how to maybe like not best by some guidance around how to frame how to write out a manifestation because oh yeah I think the I think where we're getting kind of like in the weeds around manifestation is that we're conflating it with wishes mm -hmm. and they're not the same thing mm -hmm. absolutely it's so true you know a way that you can conceptualize it and write it and and for me like I maybe it's my earth energy but I always like try to bring it kind of down back into spell work or use sort of spell work to sort of in inform it because I think that spells maybe feel complex or maybe they have a lot of moving parts um to them maybe they're not actually as complex as we think they're you know I don't know but I like to sort of ground it down with with those things so when I write my my manifestations, what I my wants, my things that I'm seeking to set into motion, I think first of all, maybe the difference between that and wishes is <clears throat> these are things that I am gonna do. Like I'm like, it's happening, I'm setting it into motion. But I like to anchor it into maybe my deity work practice as well and write a petition to a deity, maybe that rules over that type of energy that I'm seeking to bring in. Maybe it's just a deity that I've worked with. We have a personal connection with, even though maybe they might not have anything to do with the manifestation intent. Like, for example, if you're manifesting love, you know, maybe you would seek Aphrodite. But if you don't have a relationship with Aphrodite, then maybe it's a better option just to work with whoever you have the closest relationship with. So I think that that's really great. And maybe it's a it's another good example of like, you know, how you can bring in this intelligence that is sort of maybe depending on the way that you think the dimensions and the world and it all works maybe they're you know able to assist you and and bring you know come into this earthly plane and assist you with that with bringing it into your life or with aligning it into your life and so whether it's you're asking the planets as intelligence intelligences for assistance whether it's deities elemental energies through spell work um or a variety of other things i think that to me that's a big part of my manifestation practice but i think to to maybe other people who it is just all mental or it is just all sort of within them i think it has a lot more to do with the the dedication and the sort of the discipline and the learning how to be impartial and how to strengthen the will. I think that's what the Western esoteric tradition has been trying to do forever is like, how do we strengthen the will? How do we make ourselves a magnet for our desires? And in that case, it's a much bigger conversation than just like wishing on a dandelion, you know? Oh, a magnet for desire is it's such a rich and beautiful way to put that. I'm going, I'm, I will write, I need to write that down because <laughs> I, I am obsessed with that. This has been such a gorgeous conversation and I could talk to you for forever, but I want us to start winding down a little bit here. And I want to offer my last question before we get into the how can people find you question. Mm -hmm. What is something that people never really seem to ask about you, but you wish came up more often? Ooh. Hmm. <laughs> See, I love talking about like books and yeah, just like literature. I was like an English and creative writing major and minored in philosophy. So I, I'm just, I love talking about all of these things and books and things like that. So yeah, probably that. 
<laughs> awesome. I love that answer. And I will absolutely do that next time we chat. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But thank you so, so much for coming on. Please do let the people know what you have uh, coming down the pipeline and where they can find you. Absolutely. So you can find me on Instagram at Angelica S. Krishi and my website at AngelicaCrishi.com. And I have two really cool things happening um, this month right now. Um, so I'm doing a double launch at the moment for two programs. One of them is called Catabasis. It is a underworld journeying program and like a Hades deity work mentorship. And it's a group program where we're going to be talking about the basics of underworld journeying and how that can be a transform transformative magical act that you can use to transmute and, you know, kind of plunge yourself deeper into life purpose, kind of all the things that we were talking about in this episode of like how Hades has been able to change my life and how that happened and how all these things kind of came to be. Um, I'm going to be teaching like my magical system around doing that, around creating catalyst moments for yourself through underworld journeying and Catabastus will also, yeah, we'll be talking a lot about working with Hades. So it's kind of a program that touches on both of those things. It starts in January and it's a six month program. So it ends in June of 2024 and that's open for registration right now. And then my other thing that I'm launching at this time is called Spells for Life. It's a course about spell crafting. So this is the course that is going to teach you how to write your own spells. So if you're somebody who feels like you're ready to come deeper into your own sort of authentic personal magic, I'm going to be teaching you how to intuitively craft spells as well as teaching you sort of the, the basics of ritual and spell work in the more like traditional witchcraft and ceremonial occult spaces so you can put it all together with your intuitive knowledge. So both of them are available right now and they're 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 awesome. I'm so excited about both of these offerings. Oh, they both sound wonderful. And I I think if our conversation is in any indicator of what to expect, I think people will be really in for a treat. Thank you so yeah. much. Of course. Thank you. That's all for today's episode, everyone. Please do share what's on your mind in e email, voice memo, etc. And do let me know those post-pod questions or ideas or if you'd like to have a particular guest come on the podcast. Don't be shy. Let's keep the conversation going. If you liked what you heard, and this is all really hitting home for you, please do leave a five-star rating and a review and pass it along to even one friend you think would benefit from what we talked about today on The Violet Vulture. But that's all for today, friends. Thank you for tuning in The Violet Vulture. Bye for now.